Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for preserving a copy of your word in our language. And we might have a copy, a personal copy, to read, to study, to memorize, to meditate on, and then to live out in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us now as we preach and teach your word. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll never forget where I was when I sensed God's call on my life. I was a computer technician traveling across three counties to fix computers of my banking and department store clients. I was driving southbound on I-95 in South Florida when I heard in my spirit these words, Michael, I don't need you fixing computers anymore. I want you fixing the lives of broken men, women, and children. The Spirit of God said to me, everything in this world will pass away except the Word of God and the souls of men. Therefore, I want you to spend the rest of your life investing in the Word of God and the souls of men. A few days later, I was reading my Bible in my quiet time with the Lord, and these words leapt off the page of Scripture. 1 Timothy 3.1 Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. This was a pleasant surprise to me because until then, until God opened my eyes to this verse, I thought that the call of God was more of a supernatural event, like a vision or a dream or an audible voice from God. I always thought that it had to be like a burning bush or an angelic appearance or something. But this verse, these verses in Timothy says, if anyone's hearts desires to do this or that, to be an overseer. That verse so resonated with me because I knew that God was at work in my heart. I had a deep longing to be in church and with God's people every time the church doors were open. I was in church Sunday morning and Sunday night Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and then on Friday night or Saturday night, I would lead a street beach, street outreach in Fort Lauderdale. And then I took a spiritual gifts class and, and I found out that all my spiritual gifts related in part to the gift of pastors or to the pastoral office. And after much prayer and advice from my pastors and mentors and parents, I, I gave my two-week uh, notice at my job and went to Bible college to prepare for ministry. And as I got to know my professors and administrators at Bible college, and then also later in seminary, I learned another important truth about God's calling. You see, many of my Bible college professors and seminary professors and administrators were once pastors. And some of them were even missionaries. 
And I was curious to know how their transition from the pastorate and the mission field to the academy came about. I learned from these godly men and women that their calling was to full-time ministry, and that never changed. But their assignment changed as they matured and as their desires changed. And that's what so fascinated me about that verse in 1 Timothy 3. It seems as if God takes our desires into account when calling us to follow and to serve Him. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Today I want us to take a look at the transitions in the life of the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul lays out this elite Jewish pedigree that he had. He said, I was born into the Jewish tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee who once persecuted Christians. But one day, all that changed. As a matter of fact, it was on a day that he was on his way to a, the Syrian city of Damascus to persecute more Christians that God supernaturally intervened in his life and he saved Paul. Before Paul was saved, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Sometime after he became a Christian, he was given the new name Paul. We cannot only read about his dramatic conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, but we can also read about his calling into the ministry. God sent a man named Ananias to give Paul this message. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I should like to have that for a calling. I should like to know that part of your calling from God is to suffer for the name of Christ. That was Paul's calling. The reason that Paul and many of Jesus' original 12 disciples have the title apostles or apostle is because Bible scholars recognize that they have a special place in church history. They have what is called an apostolic ministry, which comes from the Greek word apostello, which simply means to send. To send. And so the apostles were the sent ones of Jesus to establish his church around the world. They were what we would call today church planters. They planted a church and in some cases became its pastor for many years. Others, as we will see, planted a church and then moved on to plant other churches once the first church had had been established and stable. So now open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 19. The New Testament book of Acts chapter 19. Beginning in verse 8, we read these words. 
Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took his disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, on one of his missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul went to the great influential Greco-Roman city of Ephesus, which is where this passage takes place. It was there that he entered into the Jewish synagogues to preach and teach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was customary in ancient Judaism that a man with the pedigree of Paul would be welcomed into the Jewish synagogue to preach and to teach. Verse 8 tells us that for three months the Apostle Paul argued persuasively about God's kingdom. That means he preached with such power, such logic and love that many were convinced and believed on Christ and were welcomed into his kingdom. But verse 9 tells us that some remained unconvinced. They were hard-headed or maybe even hard-hearted and they refused to believe. Not only that, they began to shout him down and publicly slander Paul and Christianity. That's what is meant in verse 9 when it says, they publicly maligned the way. The phrase, the way, was the early term for Christianity. Remember, Jesus told his disciples to follow him because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Back in 1970, Tyndale published the New Living Translation of the Bible called The Way. And that name was inspired by these verses. Anyway, when Paul ran into such fierce opposition, he left the synagogue with his new converts and he rented a lecture hall where he preached and taught them for two years. But then Paul left them. He left the church there in Ephesus and he traveled throughout Macedonia and when he arrived in, in Greece, Acts chapter 20 verse 3 says, he stayed in Greece for three months, presumably doing what apostles do, preaching and teaching, making disciples. Paul then began to make his way back to Jerusalem to give his missionary report to the mother church there. But because he had spent so much time with the Ephesian church, he felt compelled to send for the elders of the church to say goodbye to them. Even though the text tells us in Acts chapter 20 that he purposely bypassed Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. But when he put it to port, having passed Ephesus, he felt compelled to send someone to get the elders to come and to be with him so he can tell them a very touching goodbye. He said, send for the elders of the church. And then we see this incredibly touching scene in Acts chapter 20, 
verse 17. But before we get to Acts 20, verse 17, let me point out the first lesson we find in Acts chapter 19. Remember the series of messages here is titled Lessons for Leaders and Followers in Transition. Lesson number one, the, apost the apostolic calling is time sensitive. It seems to have an expiration date for each church and it varies depending on the situation. Paul doesn't spend the same amount of time in each city with every church. It depends on how quickly he gains a hearing and a following. It also seems to depend on how dangerous things get. You see, the goal of the apostle is to spread the gospel as far and as wide as possible. And their model is church planting. Some churches take root and bear fruit quickly, and others take more time to get established. But in each case, the apostle moves on to another city or another country, and he starts all over again. Lesson number two, the relationships between leaders and followers in the church vary in degree of closeness. What we're about to see in Acts chapter 20 seems rare for the apostles. We, we don't find this level of closeness recorded elsewhere in the New Testament epistles. Maybe this closeness with the Ephesian elders were due to the fact that Paul was with them for three years. It could also be because their personalities and their temperaments connected so deeply with each other. In Acts chapter 20 verse 17, we read this. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know, brothers, how I've lived the whole time I was with you. From the very first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Lesson number three. This is a lesson that is repeated with every leadership transition that we've studied so far. Church leaders are commissioned by and sent by the Lord to serve the Lord. Do you see that in verse 19? Paul doesn't say, I served you with great humility and tears. What does he say? I served the Lord. Now there's no doubt that he served the people that he was sent to serve. But he understands that serving the people is really serving the Lord because the scripture says to do everything as unto the Lord. So he says, I serve the Lord. And not too many church leaders will tell you how humbly they serve the Lord, but Paul was that guy, apparently, who could say, I serve the Lord with great humility. Lesson number four, leaders will always be tested. Paul said that despite the fact that he served the Lord with such humility and passionate tears, his leadership was severely tested. And so followers know this. Ministry is hard for every leader. It's just hard. So 
as a follower, don't make it harder by being a pain in the neck. Alright? Determine that you're going to be the kind of follower that is joyful. You're going to be a joy to your church leaders. Be an obedient and cheerful volunteer in their ministries. Seek to be a servant and, and carry a part of the leadership load. Leadership is a very heavy load that leaders bear and followers are called to help bear that load. Don't be a person that is always complaining and arguing and grumbling about things that really don't matter. Don't be a gossip or a slanderer. Those people make ministry even harder than it already is. In a blog spot, my friend Pastor Ron Edmondson wrote a job description of the modern pastor. He was not complaining, but he was just informing people who have no clue beyond Sunday morning what pastors do. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, and they're probably only half joking. I said, so how's it, what's it like to only work one day a week on Sunday? Must be pretty nice. <laughs> These are the many hats that pastors wear, for those of you who are unaware. Counselor, career coach, business advisor, custodian, general contractor, arbitrator, social worker, volunteer coordinator, events manager, CEO, fundraiser, recruiter, trainer, scholar, writer, manager, public relations specialist, advertising and promotions agent, politician, and if he has time, preacher and teacher. But he only gets one salary. Verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Lesson number five. Leaders must not hesitate to preach and teach hard truth to their followers. Therefore, followers should receive such hard truths and learn how to apply them in daily living. Remember, God is here for all of us when we turn in repentance and faith to Him. Do you see that in verse 21? Paul says, I have declared to both the Jews and the Gentiles that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Whenever we turn in repentance and faith to God, remember God is always here. And unlike some unforgiving streets and intersections in Chicago, God always allows U-turns. He always allows U-turns. Leaders must not hesitate to preach and teach hard truth to their followers. That's lesson 
number five. Lesson number six, the Holy Spirit directs the leader's path to their next assignment. The Holy Spirit directs the leader's path to their next assignment. In verse 22, Paul said, he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem. The Greek word translated compelled means to be bound or obligated to do something. He didn't have a choice. Now we don't know how the Holy Spirit made himself clear to the Apostle Paul, but Paul had no doubt in his mind where his next assignment was taking him. He was bound for Jerusalem. Now we all have an assignment from God. It's not just pastors and who are called to ministry. Every one of us as Christians are called and we have an assignment. And our assignments include something to do and some place in which to do that thing. We all have a place and a purpose in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you know your assignment. I hope you know your purpose and your place in serving the Lord. If you don't, you need to find out. And the church leaders can help you find out what your purpose and your place is in serving the Lord in the local church. And if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we will know our place and our purpose. And we will be wise to take our place and fulfill our purpose despite the hardships that come with serving the Lord. Look at verse 23. Paul says to these elders gathered around him from Ephesus, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Wow. Lesson number seven. The calling is worth more than life itself. The calling of God on your life is worth more than your life itself. That's lesson number seven. You see, if you read church history, you understand that church history is splattered with the blood of the martyrs. Someone has said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Paul not only knew the timing of his mission, the purpose of his mission, and the place of his mission, he also knew the cost of his mission. He said that the Holy Spirit made it clear that prison and hardships lay ahead. Think about this. Why did he use the word prison and then couple it with and hardships? Isn't prison a hardship? It is in my book. But Paul knew that prison wasn't going to be the only hardship. It would get worse. He would probably have to lay down his very life to fulfill his mission. And he was okay with that. It was considered a badge of honor for the apostles and the early church fathers to lay down their lives for the sake of Christ because Christ had laid down his life for them. 
Last week, Moody Bible Institute had their annual Bible conference called Founders Week. And normally our staff will go down and take in a morning session or sometimes we would cancel our Wednesday night prayer meeting and encourage the church to go down. This year I didn't go to any of them. I was just too busy and didn't take the time to go to any of the sessions. But my daughter and my son, Philip, my daughter, Rachel, went to one of this, at least one of the sessions. And they went to hear Francis Chan. Now Francis Chan, if you don't know who he is, he's a well-known pastor from California who planted a church. The church became a mega church. And he wrote this worldwide famous book. Uh, I think it was called like Crazy something. Crazy Love or Crazy... Yeah. And the, I mean, the book just sold off the charts. Amazon could barely keep it stocked in their warehouses around the world. Translated in many different languages. And God just woke him up and said, you're done with this kind of church life that you're living. And he left his church, mega church. Nothing was going wrong, everything was going right. But he left his church and went to Asia and traveled around different countries in Asia, him and his family. And he became a millionaire because of this book and he was just giving away his money all over Asia. Well, last week at Founders Week, after being in Asia for a couple of years, several years ago, he comes back to the United States, California, and decided to start house churches. So he planted these little house churches all over California. And last week he announced that he's going back to Asia, specifically China. Now, I don't know if you paid attention to the news, but there are people dying over there. And they're not only dying because they're Christians at the hands of the government, but they're dying because of this new virus that's spreading over there. Thousands of people are dying. And he says, the Holy Spirit has compelled me to go back to Asia, specifically to China. I think Francis Chan and Paul would be like this. <laughs> I think those guys, there's just something about these guys that they are different than the average Christian in the church. And they're willing to do things that most of us would not do. Even if God was calling us to do it. They have a different level of understanding and commitment to fully follow Jesus in obedience to whatever he says to do and to go wherever he says to go. Despite being uncomfortable, despite how much it's going to cost. If it would even cost their lives. And he's got kids and a wife. But like many other missionaries before him, you can read Dozens and dozens of stories of men, women, and children who laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. 
The Apostle Paul was okay with that. As a follower of Christ, the question is, are you and I willing to lay down our lives for the gospel, for Christ? Do you see the phrase, testifying to the gospel of God's grace there? Paul says, I want to finish my course, I want to intensify to the gospel of God's grace. The word testify or witness is from the Greek word martyr. Do you know that? You know what a martyr is, right? The, the English word martyr comes from the Greek word martyr. It's really a transliteration. Originally, the word meant to testify, to be a witness. Like if you're called to, to, to court to be a witness or to testify about something you saw, a crime that you saw being committed, and somebody said, this person saw it, and you're a witness, now you go to court and you testify. So the word witness and testify go together. They come from the same word, martyr. Today we understand the word martyr is anyone who dies for the faith. Why is it related to dying? Because in the first century world, as is today in some countries, if you stand up and say, I'm a Christian, you try to share the gospel and witness to others, in other words, tell other people what Jesus did for you so that they can be saved, you die. Paul says, I've got to do what the Spirit of God is compelling me to do, even though I realize that it may cause me to become a martyr. The early church in the first century, when Christians shared their salvation testimony with others, it would cost them their lives. And so Christians who died for sharing their gospel testimony being simple witnesses for what Christ did for them, they were called martyrs. So both leaders and followers are called to be witnesses for Christ. Witnesses to the life-transforming power of the gospel. And sometimes, even today, in some places in this wicked world, it will cost you your life to be a witness. And you and I may become martyrs for the gospel. But guess what? Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Why? Jesus said, why should we be afraid of those who can only kill the body? They can't touch your soul. Jesus got that. That's why Paul is able to say, my life is not worth anything. What he meant was, his, very, his physical life isn't worth not going and finishing the mission. Because so what if he dies? He's going to be resurrected. And before he gets resurrected, his spirit is going straight to be with Jesus. So what's the deal? Here's the deal. We're married to the comforts of American Christianity. We're married to our nice comfortable bed, our nice home, our bank accounts. We, we are so caught up 
and all the materialism of life that we're not letting that go, let alone letting our life go. That's the problem. God help us to get the proper perspective. Paul says, even my own life is not worth as much as my mission in life, which is to share the gospel. Paul was well aware that his eternal life, his spiritual life was secure. And so he was willing to lay down his earthly, physical life. The gospel gives you the proper perspective of what's really important and what's really not important. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So now he lays it on them. Y'all, you're not going to see me again. This is it. I sent for you to tell you goodbye because chances are we're not going to see you again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. Very sobering last words from the Apostle Paul to these elders in the church of Ephesus. Lesson number eight. Good leaders in transition will remind and warn their followers. Good leaders in transition will always remind and warn their followers, the people of God. Remind them of what is important and warn them of dangers to come. Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that he has been faithful to proclaim the word of God to them. The word of God is the up, of utmost importance in the life of the church of God. The Bible is our guiding light in the darkness. It is our wisdom for daily living. It is our comfort in the storms of life. The Word of God is the will of God. And Paul then warns them to guard their own lives and those of the congregation. See it in verse 28. He reminds them that it was the Holy Spirit that made them elders or overseers of the church. And that the church was bought with the blood of Christ. Therefore, they are to shepherd the flock and faithfully, lovingly shepherd that flock. The flock of God. In verses 29-31, Paul's then, he then begins to warn them about false teachers. Who will attempt to come in and lead the church astray. My wife and I were with some folks from the church here recently, and this person, these, this couple was asking us, as we were preparing for this transition, if we sensed that this church 
was straying from Orthodox Christianity in any way. Or if there was any hint of what Paul is speaking of in this text. And I was so glad and at ease to be able to share with them that that is not a current concern. I have no concern currently that there is any group or individual in the church that is trying to take us away from the teachings, the orthodox teachings of Christianity found in the Bible. But Paul is saying that that threat is constantly lurking about. Therefore, the leaders, the elders of the church must be weary and aware and not allow those things to happen in the church. Elders are charged with guarding and protecting the children of God from false teaching. False teachers who do not teach sound doctrine. And so Paul uses even this analogy of ravenous wolves who attack the flocks of sheep and devour many unsuspecting lambs. And he does not want that to happen in the church that he is so much invested his life and pouring himself out. But beyond himself, he reminds the elders that the church was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In fact, I just pause here and say something about what the ushers mentioned to you a moment ago. They told you that on March 1st, there will be a special time of celebration and farewell luncheon and all of that, and they said you can write a note of thanks, or you can give a special gift or offering for our family. That is not something that I requested of them to ask of you. It's something that God has put in their hearts to do. When the Apostle Paul says that I did not covet anyone's silver or gold, he's distinguishing himself from false teachers in the church who for them it's all about the money. It's all about how much money they can get for themselves to line their pockets and to live super lavish lifestyles. We see such preachers on television. Not all of them are like that, but many of them are. And they have been exposed for who they are. Paul says, I am not like that, and be careful not to allow anyone in the church as your leader to be like that. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In other words, Paul was a tent maker. He didn't rely on the offerings of the congregation to meet his needs. He actually worked making and selling tents 
while he was planting the church or the churches that he planted. And that's where we get the word tent maker among pastors who are bivocational because their churches is not able to support them financially. So they work as what we call a secular job while they pastor and bless the church. That was not my situation. This church has always been very generous and gracious to provide for my need, the need of Pastor Mark and all of our staff. But Paul made it his, he had a conviction as to never rely on the church to provide for his needs, so he worked a second job to take care of his own needs. Incredible. And he says, you yourselves know that these hands have taken care of the needs and the needs of my companions. He says, in everything I did, I showed you. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lesson number nine. Actions speak louder than words. Both leaders and followers are called to be doers of the word and not simply hearers of the word. Verse 35, Paul said, Every, In everything I did, I showed you by my hard work. Once again, we get the picture that ministry is hard work. Church leaders are not just talking heads. No, they are engaged with their hearts and hands in the work of the ministry. And ministry involves the lives of people. It's a complex and complicated as people are. Complex and complicated. Paul gave of his time, talent, and treasure, and he's calling on the elders of the church to give of themselves in the same way, thereby setting the example for the rest of the flock. And if you're the type that always asks, well, what's in it for me? Paul has an answer. He quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, the blessing is in the giving business. If you want to be blessed, learn how to be generous with your time, talent, and treasure. The more you give, the more you will be given because you can't outgive God. Some of you are not experiencing the abundant grace of God because you have not released what He's already given you to share. You've become hoarders or containers of God's blessings. Don't hoard the blessings of God. Remember, God hasn't made you to be a container, but a conduit of His blessings. When He had said this, He knelt down with them, with all of them, and He prayed. And this, this is the part that just wrecks me. They all wept as they embraced Him and kissed Him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. And then look at this, last verse. After we had torn ourselves away from them. Wow. Can you picture it? After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. And the next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. Lesson number 10, finally. 
As the song says, breaking up is hard to do. For both leaders and followers who love each other, breaking up is hard to do. But the mission continues. It's okay to cry and to grieve. The fact that the relationship that they shared as leaders and followers is over. But they both have work to do. They both have a mission to fulfill. They both have the Lord to serve. And these are more important than the special bond we share as leaders and followers. May God help us in our leadership transition to grieve with hope and thanksgiving. And then to move on and to do the work God has called us to do for such a time as this. Let's stand as we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, this is God's time of invitation. Which of these lessons found in this passage do you need to apply to your life? What is God saying to you?
soul-saving station as this local church is, we'd love to talk with you. After the service, you can just step over that center arch to your right, back in the sanctuary there. Deacons will meet you there and help you with whatever decision is on your heart or mind. Maybe you need to be saved, maybe you need to join a church, maybe you need to be baptized, whatever it is. Maybe you just have a burden you need someone to pray with you about. We'll be glad to help you there. Right? Under the arches in the back of the sanctuary. Folks will be waiting there to talk with you. Father, thank you so much for this time together with your people and even some who may not be yet your people. Thank you for a rich time in your word. Words in our hearts. Help us to go from this place with your spirit, encouraged and built up. 